You're listening to the Higher Ed Marketing Lab. I'm your host, Jared Smith. Welcome to the Higher Ed Marketing Lab. I'm Jared Smith. Each episode, it's my job to engage with some of the brightest minds in higher ed and the broader world of marketing to find actionable insights you can use to level up your school's marketing and enrollment efforts. In this episode, we'll be talking with Jason Bazell, Director of Digital Communications at the University of Nebraska at Omaha. I met up with Jason recently at the 2019 EDU Web Conference, and we stopped to reflect on some of the more interesting ideas and themes that we encountered at this year's conference. Side note, I actually recorded this on-site, so you're definitely going to hear a lot more background noise than you ordinarily would. Along the way, we discussed how to humanize digital experiences, which was actually the topic of a, a talk that Jason delivered. We talked about why today's students place such a high priority on authenticity and how schools are attempting to provide it. And we discussed some of the more interesting findings from RNL's 2019 e-expectations report, which was presented at the conference. I thoroughly enjoyed my conversation with Jason, and I hope you find it as fun and interesting as I did. So without further ado, here's my talk with Jason Bazell. Jason, welcome to the show. Thank you. Thank you. Maybe just to get things started, if you could tell us a little bit about your school, University of Nebraska at Omaha, and a little bit about what you do there. Yeah, I'm the director of digital communications going on five years at the University of Nebraska Omaha, as you said. And I have a team of five people who work on social media, web content strategy, our mobile app, um, and then work collaboratively with uh, IT on development and design. Mm -hmm. Yeah, University of Nebraska Omaha, it's located in Omaha, Nebraska. Metropolitan University, lots of first-generation students um, in the city, a lot of great internship opportunities, and part of the University of Nebraska system. So University of Nebraska Kearney, University of Nebraska Lincoln, as well as the Med Center, and then us in Omaha. So we're the Mavericks, our color's black, and our mascot's Durango. There's the UNO background in a, in a real small bit of time. Very cool. And what's enrollment at UNO? Close to 16,000, so a couple thousand graduates. So we have a graduate school as well and a bunch of graduate programs, as well as PhDs offered in a few programs, but obviously mostly a lot of undergrads as well. Cool. So we are wrapping up EDU Web 2019. Lots of different stuff presented at this conference. That was a really strong conference on so many different topics. What did you think of the conference? Any sessions or any sort of themes stand out to you? Yeah, well, they had, I think it was four or five tracks, but then within the tracks, you're starting to see some new themes emerge. And we've spent a lot of time over the last year or two at at UNO focused on accessibility. Mm -hmm. Within the design track, there were three or four presentations on accessibility and then another one on social media that focused on accessibility. And it seems like maybe I'm a little biased, but that might be a track in the future. Yeah. That was one that really stood out to me, as well as all the good marketing data and seeing how far analytics has come in the last few years. There Mm -hmm. used to be hardly anything on analytics and now that was its own track. Yeah. Tons of presentations on analytics and making the most out of Google data studio and yeah, things that were new ideas back a few years ago when I was on an analytics team at another institution now are just no brainers or, or they're being talked about like, you know, you're on Google data studio, right? Right. And a lot of people are nodding their heads now. Whereas before that wasn't the case. Yeah. Lots of good themes there. So you spoke on humanizing the digital experience. That's kind of the title of your talk. What do you mean by humanizing the digital experience? What does that mean to you? 
And I guess another way of phrasing that would be like, what is a well-humanized experience versus one that's maybe not? Yeah. We talked a lot about personalization. There's a couple good posts and I wish I could attribute them properly in this podcast as I speak to you, but I saw some good things like don't focus as much on personalization, focus on humanization. And it really stuck with me. And a big concept of that, and it was on, on the panel I was on, I think Jenny from MIT talked about sit down with your users, talk to your users, use them to guide you. You know, data is one piece of the story, good design principles, all the stuff that we're experts on. But the other third component of that is talking to your users and kind of putting that all together. Mm-hmm. My presentation, the title might have been a little misleading for some, but I was really, you know, we focus on the technology, we focus on the content a lot, and sometimes it's kind of an afterthought to sit down with our users. That was, my focus was on voice technology and maybe some things that are a little bit futuristic, especially in higher ed. But until you sit down with users who are using screen readers, which has an audio component to it, or sitting down with users who have to use other assistive tech, you can't humanize it until you sit down with a human. So we can do yeah. all this content, all this technology, but until we sit down and really get with our users, we're not able to take that next step. So I, that's what that was. I thought that, to get across. that panel on designing websites for Gen Z that you were sitting on was super interesting. And, and yeah, Jenny from uh, MIT talking about doing focus groups with students and, uh, you know, being down in the student center and, you know, asking students for feedback. And uh, I don't know if it was, if she mentioned it or or it was in another session, somebody was talking about actually um, having students when they were prospective students on a, on a visit coming in. It's like, Hey, we'll give you this laptop sticker. If you'll do our little informal usability study real quick and let's watch you go through the website. And I thought that was a super clever idea. Yeah. It, I mean, she was saying either they were getting them at the campus visit or like just after they had just uh, registered or they just showed up on campus. Yeah. And that's like the key, like, cause it's so quickly after we've experienced it, we lose what our mind was in when we were completing mm-hmm. the task or on the website. So focus groups are okay. Surveys are okay. She did talked a little bit about like when they le- when they're on the website, little pop-ups when they're in the mode and they're thinking whether they're frustrated or yes, that was successful. That's when you have to get with them. Focus groups after the fact. Did you like that website? You know, we saw some where there's survey questions. I felt like it's you start to kind of lead the witness or were they delighted by this content or that content? In the moment, it's a different way of thinking. They're trying to complete a task. They're trying to find something. And if you don't catch them or watch them do it, you're not going to get the true answer. You might get in a focus group what they think they might have done or what they think they like. Yeah. Watching them in the moment or right as they're at a campus visit is the time to grab them if that's your, whatever your audience is, whatever state they're in. Yeah. And I know we'll, we'll eventually talk about uh, RNL's expectations report. We got to see a great presentation on that, but I, I always feel that way about uh, survey data too. It's like after the fact, you know, I think there's a lot of uh, science to back up that oftentimes people are poor judges about why they did what they did, why they chose what they chose. And, um, you know, I think Hanover maybe had some research a few years back that was showing if you talk to kids about why they make their decision before they actually choose a school to enroll in, they'll say one thing, Mm. they'll talk about academic quality. But then if you talk to them afterwards, they'll talk about the intangible aspects. You know, I walked on campus and I just felt like I belong there. I felt like I kind of found my, my crowd and it, it becomes a lot more qualitative and less, you know. 
Yeah, and if you're using that to impact your decisions or some of the things that we're involved in on, on web or digital, I mean, th- those can be two totally different strategies. And so depending on where they're at in that journey, which I think is what we might talk about a little bit in the RNL stuff, there's different strategies you do from a communications perspective, depending on where they're at in that journey. And so if you're trying to figure out for, in Jenny's case, it was the homepage, if you're trying to figure out what state of mind they're in, you got to watch them when they're in that state or else, yeah, later on that you might not be getting accurate data. Yeah. That's like step one of any data, (laughs) accurate data (laughs) before you start making decisions or accompanying that with qualitative stuff. Yeah. Is it something that occurred to me as I was sitting in presentations on analytics and where, you know, a lot of the conversations very data heavy, data is on the tip of everybody's tongue as always. And it kind of made me wonder if sometimes we don't get into a place where we're focusing on the things that we can measure because they're measurable. It's like that anecdote of somebody looking for, they lost their keys and they're looking under a street light. And why are you looking here? It's like, well, that's because that's where the light is. Do you ever think about that? Do you wonder if there's a danger there? Yeah, we've kind of come from this journey where we weren't necessarily measuring anything to where we can we can fairly easily measure a lot of stuff. Mm-hmm. And I think Corrine Jolie did a, a little presentation on that. We got to take a step back. Okay, what are the goals? <laughs> yeah. And then that can help us decide what we measure. It's so easy just to track page views or likes or these engagement metrics, which could lead to some goal eventually, mm-hmm. but you got to kind of step back and say, what's our goal? What's our audience? What are we trying to accomplish? And then that can lead to a few KPIs, key performance indicators, maybe that lead to a goal. And there's a lot more experts out there than me on this. I think we're learning now in higher ed, especially what's important in data and just being careful because we don't have a lot of time. We don't have a lot of resources. We don't have a lot of right. staff. So we just got to be careful in spending the time on the right things that we need to collect data-wise. And again, it's just one piece of the story. Keep doing user testing. Keep talking to our students or, or whatever audience you're, you're working with and use that together. You know, If you just base it on data, you just use it based on watching users, you might make some decisions that weren't necessarily right. Mm-hmm. Combining those together, you'll definitely make better decisions, I think. Yeah. So I kind of want to circle back to a little bit about your talk. And I know with the theme of kind of humanizing digital experience, you kind of break that down in a few different components. How do you kind of conceptualize that as you're thinking about it? For me, I, on the website, there's so much content and there's so mm-hmm. many areas we could focus on streamlining content, con <laughs> Yeah. That was a fun presentation. <laughs> Does your content spark joy? Yeah. <laughs> So it kind of related to that. It's like, where are we going to focus our efforts where people need to find the info that's going to help them complete tasks or us, you know, retain them or stay at stay at university. So I kind of call them the five P's. And I don't know if this is what you're getting at, but people, places, programs, some of our products. And so those are things that we really focus on. So products being like news events, camps on campus. Mm-hmm. and people like your employee directory, your faculty profiles. And then one that I'm really proud of is our place thing. So going out and finding your Google place listings and getting a place on your website where you can find not just your Google map of your locations that you can interact with, but literally every building on campus having metadata and structure and content around each building on campus and what what offices are in there or what services are offered. Yeah. We have more work to do there. But my whole thought was focus on the things humans need from your website, watch them interact with that, use the analytics to figure out and prioritize 
what are most commonly searched on, what are most commonly interacted with. Obviously, majors and programs is one that we all know about now and really do those really well. And as technology changes, you'll be in a good spot. Your website's your core. From there, you can build out, you know, whether it be apps, whether it be voice technology down the road, whatever tech you're doing, focus on the humans, focus on the content they need. And, you know, altruistically, you'll be okay. You'll, yeah, <laughs> you'll be in a good spot. Yeah. I, I thought, I know after your talk, we were kind of chatting and we kind of hit upon this idea of like the, the Maslow's hierarchy of, sort of digital needs and focus on doing some of the basic things right. And I thought in your talk when you were saying, hey, it's a pain, but go out and claim your Google listings for like the key buildings on your campus and make sure that information is up to date and has a little accurate description about what's going on there and and when it's open. And hopefully Google will pick up on that. And I thought that was such a key point, especially in the conference when we're talking about things like you know, the, the AI chat bot and it's like, okay, that's cool, but not when sort of these core components, these, these sort of basics that are much farther down on the, the hierarchy aren't being taken care of. And they seem basic, but then during my presentation, I kind of highlighted these buckets, you know, like our employee directory, sometimes it helps, but then there's HR data, mm-hmm. buildings and maps, sometimes facilities involved, but also you know, all of the different colleges, majors and programs, you got academic affairs, but then you have the colleges. So like no one really wants to own these things and it is like fundamentals and like tedious, but I think that's the place for some of these web teams is to really own a few of those and do them well. And Maslow's hierarchy, (laughs) it's a good reference, kind of those foundational things before you can maybe take that next step. If you don't have a solid foundation, it's hard to jump up to that next place. I mean, Joe in that panel talked about Gen Z and he's using students to answer questions. I mean, that could feed a chat bot someday. So that's a foundational thing that they're doing at BYU. Mm -hmm. Have actual students or those that are in the mode of answering questions help with answering basic questions on campus. Seems simple, seems foundational, but I bet a lot of campuses aren't necessarily doing that. I didn't speak up at the panel, but we have these things called Mavigators or the Mavericks. So we have a full-time staff member and then four or five students. And we're doing a little bit of live chat, kind of like what Joe was talking about at BYU, Mm -hmm. to help answer these questions, help with retention, help with some of the scheduling. And then maybe, yeah, maybe that because we've got this bank now of questions stored somewhere, if we want to take that next step to chatbot or voice technology, if that really catches on, we can feed that into our social media for example, like, but if you don't have that foundation, just separate from the tech, then you're just chasing the technology. I think we kind of talked about that after you're just yeah. chasing the next new technology. I heard that in the social media presentation from Andrew, you're just chasing the technology, have a strategy, have the foundations. I'll just keep saying, it, and you'll be okay. You'll, yeah. you'll be better <laughs> off for it. You'll be authentic. That was a big word that was talked about. Oh yeah. So I definitely want to talk about authenticity. I don't know. I feel like a few years ago it was storytelling. I think storytelling still very much alive and kicking, but it's been now replaced by it. Probably there was a transitional period where it was authentic storytelling. And now we're just like authenticity. Why do you think that is? I have some theories on this. We recently published, um, I'm going to date this podcast, but we recently published an interview with Jeff Calais of Render Experiences. And he focuses a lot on the campus visit experience. And I was asking him, I was like, you can see, you know, 
students posting on YouTube about what your dorms are like, and you can take a VR tour for some schools and that sort of thing. Why do you think the visit is still relevant? And he kind of ho-hummed. He's like, everybody always asks that. As I recall, I think what he said was, you know, there's so much information out there and it's overwhelming. And it's hard to determine the veracity of that information. And he said that Gen Z and their Gen X parents have seen sort of failed institutions and they're very skeptical about the information they receive from their institutions. And so the campus visit remains relevant because it's a way to connect with something concrete and real. I don't have to take your word for it. I can come see for myself. Now, in all reality, every campus visit is going to be carefully curated and we're going to skirt around some parts of the campus and maybe not others. But I mean, he's a big proponent of, hey, show your campus, even with the not so great parts, you know, own it, be authentic. I think there's got to be something to that. Yeah, I, I think what you're saying there, the Gen X and the Gen Z, I guess they're calling them now. Yeah. They're so good at filtering out the BS. <laughs> yeah. And I think eventually it's going to catch up with you. There's just too much. You're right. There's just too much information they can triangulate that. Why would we go about this kind of like old concept of marketing, showing the sunny picture, showing the, yeah. you know, this fake idea of what campus is. And that's something you and know, we, we've been talking about authentic for a while because we were starting up a bit of a new brand, new logo, going to division one from division two, people had an image of what UNO was. And for us, we were lucky that we could show some things that people maybe didn't see or didn't think of when UNO, but it was still mm-hmm. authentic, Yeah, but not, we're not lying. We're in a city. We have great internships with, with businesses. We are moving to division one. We had a new arena. So we were able to share, I'm thinking photography a lot, but some of our text mm-hmm. as well and stuff of how we written, but photography is how we really did that early on and just showing great photography. That was something on the panel, no stock photos. Yeah. It kind of came out in the panel. I don't know if it's a good quote or not, but I'm thinking of my son too, who's eight or nine years old, who is in the Gen Z band now, which. Yeah. I know <laughs> it's kind of me. having a nine-year-old going to be a 10-year-old. When you said that, I was like, oh crap. <laughs> I know. But I was just thinking when Jason Boucher asked the question, I was like, I want my son to be marketed to how mm. I would want, like, I want him to be marketed to in a way that I'm comfortable with right? and lying to him or deceiving him and then getting him into this experience, which maybe it wouldn't be true. That would bother me. It's just kind of stuck with me this weekend, not, not just the tech or the retargeting or the geofencing, but just overall the messaging. Yeah. And the, the intent, I had an interesting conversation last night when the after hours mixers of somewhere talking about influencer marketing student generated content was a big topic saw some really interesting presentation from some folks at harvard on how they do that and uh, talking about takeovers and some of the logistics behind that and their take on it but i got into a conversation with someone about influencers and i as a marketer i feel very conflicted about influencers on one hand the risk taker marketer that's like always looking for the next thing says yeah, that's awesome. That's a growth area. We need to be dipping our toes into that. But then thinking about how much this generation values authenticity, is it authentic? Is it helping to connect? If our prospective students want the truth, are we helping them discover the truth by finding that high school YouTuber that has 100,000 subscribers and proposing that they talk about our school? I don't know. And I don't have a clear answer. And if we're paying them for it, (laughs) you know. I know private institutions are under a ton of stress. 
And I can see like they need to be thinking of those things and really tapping into them at some time because awareness is a big key of social media. There's also a customer service angle and the whole messaging side, but it is an, an awareness strategy and definitely something that we're dipping our toe into even at UNO, like student workers who are active on social media, but I don't think you can create the content for them. It has to be coming from them. Yeah. And genuine or else I just think we have these filters now and we're so good at spotting it. And I think that yeah. maybe that's why authenticity really came out at this one. It's because people are just so good at spotting stuff that's not yeah. real. Basically. Yeah, they're gonna and they're gonna call BS on it so fast. They're starting to spot some of this influencer marketing as banner ads. You know, banner ads in ninety yep. seven that were kind of you started to banner blindness. We're getting maybe some influencer blindness if you don't do it the right way or it's not genuine. Yeah. But if it is, it's really powerful. If you have a student who tells a story and it's from them and it's really true and genuine, mm-hmm. that's powerful. That's a powerful message you can't even pay for. <laughs> right. You can't pay enough for that. Yeah. And so then I think what you're talking about is it's almost more an approach of uncovering the story that was organically there. As marketers, we're like, okay, but I could uncover more if I just gave it a little tap. And it's a fine line. It's a fine line. Yeah. Yeah. And and then, you know, you're kind of like, is it possible to engineer something organic like that? You know, yeah. You have to be very careful with that. I think it goes back to foundation stuff. We talked about foundation, good storytelling. You need to go find stories. And from there, and whatever your goals are, you can figure out how you tell that story. That might be through a new social channel. It might be through your traditional news or even some printed or or word of mouth stuff through your leadership. There's different ways to deliver the story. Mm -hmm. Foundationally, how do we find those stories? And then then later on, it's how does it get delivered in the right way that's genuine? Yeah. Coming from a marketing background, I think it was McCann, like one of those old school Mad Men era agencies, but their motto, their sort of agency philosophy was the truth well told. And that's always kind of stuck with me because we think of, you know, the smoke and mirrors of advertising, but they're like at the core, it's got to connect to something true and how truth is perceived or verified, I guess these days is changing. (laughs) The truth back then was really wide and now it's really narrow. So you have like the goalposts, right? Used to be able to kick it through the really wide goalposts. Now they're down to like two yards apart. You're threading a needle. You got to find that connection and kick it through there. It's much more difficult. Yeah. That was interesting. So RNL's expectations report, I'm always excited to see what they've dug up this year and saw a good presentation on that. Was there anything that like jumped out at you? They were started to do that sophomore survey. So where sophomores at in that journey yeah. and that was a great addition, starting to see the difference between sophomores, juniors, and seniors mm-hmm. in how they responded to how they received messaging. And we're seeing this at our institution. It's getting younger and younger. I got a nine-year-old. He already knows the brand I work for. You know, he's biased and we've got the gear on all the time, but they're starting to connect with brands early. So you can think by the time they're a sophomore or junior, they're making decisions. Yeah. And you could see that in the RNL. You could see how they're already talking about how they want to be communicated with. So sophomores were saying, hey, send me some brochures, send me some printed things, send me some cool stuff. Yeah. That was interesting, right? Yeah. Yeah. And that makes me as somebody who's been in the industry for a while. Okay. There's still a need for good, high quality print 
things, right? Mm -hmm. If they're done well and they're done targeted and then somebody has a connection with you. But then you could see the junior and senior especially get much more transactional. They've made some sort of decision. And the only thing it looked like RNL pointed out that was going to maybe change it was some financial aid or some life event. (laughs) Like you've got to get them at that sophomore age or Mm -hmm. else they've started to make their decisions. And then the way you communicate with them becomes different. Yeah. Their email, a little bit of Facebook, like they were saying, Facebook's not dead yet. (laughs) There's still a way to communicate. And some of that was their parents' influence. But that was interesting to me, just seeing the difference between those groups, only one year apart. And what they were showing was a difference in the way they like to be communicated with. Yeah. Actually, the Facebook is kind of funny because I remember during the presentation, Arnell had made a comment. They said, you know, in last year's report, the Facebook numbers were pretty abysmal and students were saying we don't really use Facebook or or look at Facebook very much. And they said, well, it was around the time Cambridge Analytica and some of that stuff has passed. People have kind of forgotten about it, regardless of what Facebook has or has not done from a privacy standpoint. But then one little nuance I noticed as I was kind of re-reviewing the report uh, again this morning was just students are using by far Instagram, Snapchat, all the social media channels where their grandparents aren't and their parents aren't, but a lot of them still view Facebook as a reliable way to research a school. Yeah. Some of it, it's like, I don't know if it's because we're building the lake and they know yeah. they have to go to the lake still. So yeah. they, I don't know if this ma- the metaphor makes sense, but it's like, they know these channels are there and they have to go there to get to their school of choice. Yeah. So I don't know if it's like chicken and egg where like they know we're still there and that's the way or they're okay with emails, you know, especially yeah, juniors. Yeah. So like, I don't know if it's some of it's because they just accept it and that, you know, we're looking 10 years down the road. Will it change more drastically because email may even not be a thing for my son? I don't know, but they are still open to these channels that we kind of talk about in the industry as being maybe dead or no one will look at it as viable things, whether it be a print brochure, whether it be a traditional email trigger, transactional or otherwise. And then, you know, the texting thing for seniors, I think everyone here wouldn't be surprised by that. It's just more implementing it and governing it. But there's already texting going on with recruiters that's happening naturally because they don't want I mean, I don't want to pick up a phone. (laughs) You and I are texting to to me. (laughs) It's like, we're not calling each other like we used to. So some of these things are happening gradually over time. And I wonder if this next few years, they'd be okay with these kind of traditional channels. Texting's new for higher ed, but I do wonder like in a few years, will that change or, or will those just be continually the professional way to communicate, you know, still through those. Just more and more deeply ingrained in what we do. The comment you made, you know, we as professionals, we think X thing is dead, whatever it is, SEO, print, you know, social media, whatever, email, which year after year continues to be a strong channel. And uh, some interesting findings in the report around email and email design that folks can go check out. But one thing that occurred to me, I think we, we saw a presentation at the beginning, a uh, keynote that was talking about every school's got the flyover drone photo. And should you, and the, the presenter was kind of raising the question, should you do that? Is that kind of cliche now? Is that just everybody's got it? And I heard some debate in some of the other sessions. And I thought it was an interesting point. They said, well, it's one thing if you're a consultant or you're in the industry and you just see this stuff all day long. 
but not every school has that. And honestly, if you've got a great campus, show it off. And that's a really effective way to show it off. And we saw in the RNL study where they looked at photos and what was most appealing, you know, those sense of place photos, those that have that sense of location is so important. Yeah. If you do the foundational stuff right, then some of the imagery, some of the the way you deliver the video or the content, there's an art to it. Andrew kind of, he was one of the presenters on social medias from UA Fairbanks. He showed a ton of great things and he talks about the art of what we're doing just as much mm-hmm. as the science. And so, yeah, there's, to me, and you know me, I've, we've talked about it. I think you need to sit down with your users, understand your audiences. You know, location and value are important to UNO. We have a great value with a public education we're located in a major city with almost a million people. Those are things you have to showcase. And however yeah. you need to do that with your content, that can differ. And I think Joe on our panel from BYU talked a little bit about the drone shot. Like maybe that works for a campus, you know, Yeah. that another campus, you know, we do more static images and more foundational things and really leverage social media to do like business videos with partners around mm-hmm. town and things like that. Like it's going to be a little different from campus to campus. So yeah, the drone shot might work for one. And for us, it's not something that we thought it would work. We've used more photography and things and then leverage social media for some of our, our drone shots. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Speaking of Andrew's presentation. So he's the, I don't want to get his title wrong. He's basically the social media strategist at university of Alaska at Fairbanks. And you were in that session, right? Yeah. It was just an amazing presentation on offbeat content for higher ed. And he's primarily talking about social channels, but not the usual stuff. I mean, he didn't mention Instagram once right. or, or even, I think he mentioned YouTube briefly, but it was like, hey, you can take your Twitch content and distribute it out on these other channels. I thought that was super interesting. And just kind of going back to the idea of authenticity, you know, kind of reflecting on some of the things he was sharing. The impression I got was his approach is I'm going to venture into these new channels. I'm going to take my institution forward and within the context of that channel, say something that is hopefully interesting and unique and fun. I didn't get the impression he's like trying to game the channel. He's just, we're going to show up there and be relevant and interesting. Yeah. He was like a experimenter. Like he just had a personality. Like you have to be a little experimental, but then he also... I don't know. He's like a, a a guard dog, like on new things. He must just always be thinking how to get content out Yeah, on the university that was relevant though. Still like the lists and the, the photos and the auroras and, and the Northern lights. Mm-hmm. He just has this special knack to find those. That's a pretty special skill. And he talked a lot about the art. That's the art side. Yeah. But then that comfortability, to sit down and play around with channels and learn about them. He's got some passion there. I didn't look up his education, but (laughs) I mean, he should do a thesis if he hasn't on something around communication and technology. And yeah, he's always in the mode of looking for that Mm -hmm. and connecting that back and thinking about the student audience. Yeah. Back to all of our institutions, all of our challenges. There's so many audiences and so many critical ones for us. It's obviously the public, being a public institution, the government, mm-hmm. our donors, they're in much different places. I was thinking when he was talking, there's like, they're on different channels, no less or more important. And we're kind of pulled that way to make sure we get information out to the public through our traditional medium, some of the big ones. But then there is an audience out there for institutions on these what you, offbeat, yeah. <laughs> offbeat channels. And he really, he has a passion for it. Mm-hmm. 
that was an interesting presentation to kind of cap off the week. Yeah. Really got me thinking. Yeah. Well, I guess that's kind of a good question to wrap up on is like, as you kind of head back to UNO, like, what are you thinking about? What are you maybe going to do a little differently based on something you heard here today? Anything just kind of on your mind? I think the EduWeb Twitter, they sent out a tweet, some of the design stuff, just back to accessibility. There was a presentation on atomic design. I've heard a lot of on CSS grid Mm -hmm. back at, at one of our campuses among the other design type things and really how to bake accessibility into what we're doing. Mm -hmm. The social media presentation on accessibility. I think you can kind of see where my my head's at. (laughs) Definitely focused on accessibility, but that encompasses design, that encompasses content, that encompasses social media. So really how to scale that across not just our campus, but the whole system is, is something I've taken out here today. And we touched on it. That seems to be something that's growing and is being presented on is accessibility, which really is, to me, one of those foundational elements. And even Andrew, with all of his offbeat things, he was talking about accessibility in TikTok or some of those other things that he was trying out or experimenting with over the last couple of years. So that's what I'm going to take back. Yeah. Good stuff. Well, Jason, thank you so much for taking the time to chat after the conference. And uh, Yeah, I was glad we, we ended up connecting and able to do this before we head out. Yeah. And absolutely happy to meet you. Yeah, it was a lot of fun. I'm sure I'll see you around at the next conference. And thanks everybody for listening. And we'll catch you next time. The Higher Ed Marketing Lab is produced by Echo Delta, a full service marketing firm dedicated to helping higher education institutions drive enrollment, increase yield, and capture donors' attention. For more information, visit echodelta.co. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe and leave us a review on iTunes. And as always, if you have questions, suggestions, episode ideas, or just want to reach out and say hi, drop us a line at podcast at echodelta.co. See you next time.